Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 18th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that thinks you should have sold your non-foil Jace Juniors months ago. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. MTG Critic on the interwebs. My co-host is Travis Allen, a.k.a. Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good afternoon, James, and good afternoon to all of our listeners. Uh, glad to be here for episode 18 and, uh, and chatting about magic again. Our show is sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Travis, why don't you break down for everybody what we've got today? Sure. Uh, our episode this week is in three parts. Our first part is Top Movers. This is where we'll talk about the cards that have seen the most movement over the past week. Then we're going to talk about Cards to Watch. This is where James and I will point out all the cards and products that we have our eyes on as possible ways to make money. And we'll wrap up the re- week with Segment 3, Metagame Week in Review. We'll be talking about GP Minneapolis and GP Manchester, two standard Grand Prix from this past weekend. So let's go ahead right in on segment one, top movers. Uh, I'll take this first one. It is Greater Gargadon from Modern Masters. We're looking at the foil copies specifically here, but non-foils have moved a little bit too. The foils started the week at 450 and are now at about seven and a quarter for uh, about a 60% gain. Um, I had to do a double take when I saw this because Greater Gargadon is a combo piece has been floating around in Modern for years now, and uh, I was wondering, I hadn't seen any list that played, I wasn't sure where it came from. Turns out it's a part of this new Dredge Vine list um, that I know we've referenced on this show in the past uh, with uh, Volgari Grave Troll. We talked about that showing up a few weeks ago. Apparently the new builds are on Greater Gargadon to act as sort of a, a way to get rid of your blood ghasts and trigger Brig- Bridge from Below a bunch. So that's where the Greater Gargadon excitement's coming from. I almost put this on my uh, cards to watch list this week, but it looks like it's you know it's already gained um, you know between thirty and seventy percent uh, for the non foils. So I, I don't know if you really want to spend four or five bucks on Greater Gargadons, but if you can find them for two or three dollars, uh, I don't think that's necessarily a bad idea. Uh, you know the Dredge deck could take off and put a little more steam behind those copies, and it's still a very interesting combo piece um, that supply is very low on. Yeah, I mean I'm only seeing one copy for $8 inclusive of shipping left on TCG. So it's not going to take a lot for this to settle in the $10 to $15 range. Um, you know, it's not a card that people are going to have a ton of foils lying around. None of the big sellers seem to have any inventory left, so they'll have to, to wait to source it. So there might be an opportunity to get out on this north of 15 in the next month or two if the supply, I mean, if, if the demand holds up. Um, one of the things I would caution the listeners on is that um, the dredge decks are almost certainly going to settle in as a uh, tier two force uh, to be reckoned with in modern. But the exact list is does not seems to be in constant flux as people are testing um, a bunch of different paradigms for what is a very complex deck um, that also needs to respond to the shifting metagame. Oh yeah, definitely. I don't think that Greater Gargadon is going to ride. Um ride dredge to any sort of amazing price tag it's just uh we're starting to see the card get used again in the format 
and supply is um, reasonably low. You know, we're looking at a time spiral rare that was reprinted in Modern Masters. So this is more like, a, oh yeah, this is still around, and maybe we see it pop up somewhere else, and maybe that pushes it. You know, Restore Balance is still out there, and that's a card that tends to like Greater Gargadon as well. Now I'm just dreaming. <laughs> <laughs> so next on our list, we have Realms Uncharted. This is an instant from Rise of the Eldrazi. Um, card that a lot of listeners may not be familiar with. It's two and a green for an instant that reads, search your library for four land cards with different names and reveal them. An opponent chooses two of those cards, put the chosen cards into the graveyard and the rest into your hand, uh, then shuffle your library. So uh, in many ways, it's like a gifts ungiven for lands. Uh, card moved from $1.75 uh, to $3 this week, uh, apparently on Gitrog Monster Hype. Yeah, I couldn't find any other reason to uh, for this card's movement. And having looked at putting a Get Wrong list together myself not that long ago, Greater Realms Uncharted is a, is a home run. So I, I am chalking this up to Get Wrong. Sure, makes sense. So tell me about Junu Nefrit. Uh, yeah, I wish I could tell you anything about that. Uh, it's from Arabian Nights. It's a magic card. It does things. Uh, started the week at five bucks. It's hanging around nine fifty right now. Uh, you know, we're looking at just about a double up. Um, this is another, God, this isn't even reserve list, is it? So this is really just, this is 93, 94 magic combined with, uh, combined with a very low supply. There's really nothing else to this. It's a, it's a three mana, three, three flyer with a cumul, with an upkeep of double black. Um, I mean, that's, that's, that's really all there is to it. This is just old school magic pushing this card, uh, combined with very low supply, unsurprisingly, on yet another, um, Unlimited or Arabian Nights or Legends card. There's There's been a many uh, Arabian Nights cards that have been on the move over the last six months, uh, showing a lot more momentum um, than they had in the past. Part of that has to be uh, ascribed to the old school magic movement, but some of these cards don't actually fit. And I think that what's going on is that parties have seen that if they target low supply Arabian Nights cards, um, they don't tend to rebound on price and they try to set they fairly easily set up shop at a higher plateau. Um, and I suspect that those people have been emboldened to continue that process until we kind of run out of options. Yeah, I mean, that's very possible. It is. It's, it's even if you buy them out and uh, nobody immediately dives back in, um, the price is probably not dropping because there just aren't any copies hitting the market. Um, so you can kind of command that and then dole them out slowly. And it is worth noting that Centric uh, Channel Fireball ran a 93-94 um, side event for Magic, a 93-94 Magic side event at GPLA, um, which is the first time I think we've seen any real... Uh, validation of the format outside of social circles. So it's definitely got more legs than at least Tiny Leaders did. Yeah, and I, if I recall correctly, it was over 100 players in that tournament, so not insignificant. Wow. Um, oh. You know, just those people alone would rec would represent a reasonable amount of demand. And if you extrapolate that to the entire country, maybe we've got a couple thousand people that are interested in the format and are buying up some cards, as well as folks speculating. Um, it won't be too long before a lot of these cards uh, have been hollowed out Inventory-wise, one of the things to keep in mind with this stuff is that um, you know target the cards that are most likely to have uh, demand across multiple avenues of approach. So if you don't want to be holding a bunch of old-school car magic cards that are only good uh, in old-school that aren't going to be in demand via Commander or, or uh, Cube, you really want to have stuff that you know uh, will have some reasonable degree of demand, um, regardless of how the trend lines run. 
Yep, I agree. So next on our list is one of uh, Travis's calls from last week. Gavany Township uh, foils from Innistrad uh, jumped from 12 to 24. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of supply when Travis called this last week. Um, sounds like some of you folks uh, were listening out there and cleaned up the rest. Um, we'll see where this settles in a few weeks. I suspect it'll backslide towards maybe $20 or so and then set up shop on that plateau. Um, you know, a, a good pickup for folks that were in in the early and uh, a good uh, call by our friend Travis. Uh, thank you. Although I don't know how much I can pat myself on the back when the cards are that low on supply. <laughs> I think we're, we're uh, part Oracle, part, part Catalyst. Um, yeah. I mean, g- given that it's played in two or three different decks in modern, often as a three or a four of, um, you know, there was a lot of uh, support for the card to eventually sell out in foil, given that it's only had a single printing. Yeah, for sure. Um, why don't you take the next one, too? Uh, so the gods from Journey into Nyx and the other uh, sets out of Theros uh, continue their march up the chain, at least in foil. Um, Iros, God of Victory, foils have jumped from 15 to $30 um, on low supply. There's just one on TCG and a couple between eBay and Star City Games left lying around, um, proving yet again that iconic uh, cards from... Uh, key blocks will continue to do well in foil when they don't see any kind of a reprint. Um, I've got a whole bunch of gods sitting around waiting for uh, a jump, but less foils than I would like. So kudos to those of you that thought ahead and picked up the foils. Yeah, foils were tough. I don't remember ever there being a time where I looked at the prices on those and went, yep, this is the number that I want to pay. So that, those are those are tough to get into. Exactly. I, I also wasn't clear that the foil demand was going to be there because relatively few of the gods seem to be getting a tremendous amount of commander play which is generally it, you know if it's not going to be modern or legacy play then i'd prefer it to be uh, commander if, it, if i'm trying to target foils and uh, i just wasn't seeing the patterns that made a lot of sense perforos god of the forge um always seemed uh underpriced to me uh and thassa seems like she'll have her day again one day when uh, all of a sudden uh, she finds some kind of reason to exist in modern, but uh, yep. plenty, I think we've got at least a couple more years before the gods really hit their peak. Uh, yeah, yeah, I agree with you on that one. Um, okay, so we will wrap up this week with, uh, like we said, another Arabian Nights card. This time it's a Library of Alexandria. Uh, started the week at $445. Uh, finished the week around eleven to 1200 it's about 150% gain, and uh, that is a large 150%. Um, I saw Corbin Holsler complaining about this on Twitter because his copy got stolen recently, which is a real shame. Um, this was, I think, another, once more, uh, a, an instance of very low supply on near-mint English copies of library. Um, somebody probably bought the last one or two that were out there. And, you know, we're seeing it being relisted at 11 or 12. I, I don't think it's actually a $1,200 card right now, but I do recall hearing the eBay auctions were finishing around eight or 900, um, which would still be a, 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 about a double up. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's relevant in 93, 94 magic. It's a, um, humongously powerful, uh, recognizable card in magic's history. So, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see a thousand dollars kind of near this card's home, um, you know, and let's see, what's what's bizarre Baghdad? That's probably in that range, isn't it? Even more? 
Yeah, several hundred dollars. And Mishra's workshop has been has settled in in the seven hundred to a thousand range, um, despite yeah. shops being hated out of its relevant format. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think those those three lands are all you know uh, they're reserve list. They are extremely powerful. They're iconic. They're not power nine, but they're at least the tier below um, in terms of you know how well they're known, um, their uh, reputation for power. Uh, and the demand from collectors and, and uh, powered cube holders. Yeah, and remember, you know, you can look at uh, a library of Alexander and go, oh, well, you know, nobody plays four of those, but they play four Bizarre Baghdad and four, um, or four Mishra's Workshop. And it's like, well, yeah, you're right, but also keep in mind that every deck that isn't work, playing Workshop and isn't playing Bizarre is playing their one of library. Um, so, you know, every other deck in Vintage, I think, plays it. Yeah, exactly. And one of the funny things here is that I had a library that was sent to me last year on uh, Puka Trade, um, but as it arrived, it was <laughs> immediately obvious that it was extremely fake, um, and then it ended up being one of the only tussles I had to get into on Puka Trade to get my points back. Um, so certainly disappointed that didn't come true because I'd be sitting pretty right now. Wow, oh, that's crummy. Okay, uh, let's finish up with segment one and move on to uh, segment two cards to watch we have a lot of things to chat about this week apparently um well your name's at the top of the list so uh, why don't you go ahead and get us started so i'm just gonna dip my toe in the water now on some you know some of our listeners had sent in requests for us to speak to some of the targets um, that they should potentially have their eye on for eternal masters um eternal masters of course uh, is looking to be a very popular set the expected value of a box of Eternal Masters is pretty reasonable, somewhere in the 210 to 240 range. So uh, below MSRP, where it would expect be expected to lie. Um, but there are still a lot of cards in these sets that are going to be heavily chased. Um, you know, things like the first uh, ever foil printing of Force of Will in a regular set, the first Japanese foils of Force of Will ever. Um, you know, Mana Crypt foils and a, a plethora of other great cards like Wasteland um, that, you know, despite having nine foil printings, is still probably going to be uh, high on everybody's list to acquire. Um, and so it's, you know, time to start looking at uh, trying to figure out what the bottoms might be on these cards. So I think Force of Will um, foils with the fantastic new art by Therese Nielsen um, are definitely going to be uh, on the target list. The Prices have not settled at all. There's just not enough, not even enough people offering the card in advance. I think everybody is going to be a, uh, a flood of these cards on opening weekend, which is next weekend. Uh, I believe the set comes out officially June 10th. Um, and during that weekend, I would be looking to target foil force of wills from uh, the EMA printing somewhere between 250 and 275. The, the judge foils uh, are down as low as 300 now, which really sucks for the people that were acquiring them in the seven to 900 range over the last year. Um, but it's the second most played card in Legacy. It's nearly always a four of. There's also Cuban collector demand, and it's an incredibly iconic counterspell. Um, I would think that you know a year, year and a half out, these foils will rise back up over 400. So anything over 275, I'm going to be comfortable, you know, picking up a couple of play sets and holding them for the long haul. What I especially like about this type of tactic was with foils on these special sets, uh, prices are often all over the place at the start. Nobody's quite sure where they're supposed to be yet. Um, so you might be able to score some of these possibly even cheaper than the 275 uh, 
you know, a lot of times people don't even realize that they're selling their cards for under buy list. Um, so these are these are especially interesting to chase within the first few days after the set's release. I mean, personally, I prefer the new art, but there might be some people that prefer the judge promo foils. At, in which case, you know, don't be if you see any of those show up under three hundred. I think those are a very safe buy. It's hard to say whether there are less uh, of any given foil mythic from EMA versus uh, a particular judge foil from the last five years, um, especially given that the the Force of Will Judge Foils, I think, were issued twice in the last couple of years. Um, but even still, uh, o- overall, I expect uh, a lot of that supply to dry up. Despite the fact that you would expect there to be a fire sale going on, there really aren't isn't much more than about 20 total Foil Force of Will copies uh, available on TCG at the moment. So, uh, you know, could 50 copies show up on TCG around June 10th? Maybe. Could 100? Uh, that might be a stretch. So how long does it take for the really dedicated uh, cube enthusiasts, collectors, and legacy and vintage players to chomp those up before we start to push it back up over 400? Um, I think it's probably a year to a year and a half. You like the, the new art more, huh? Yeah, I do. You, you like the old art more? Uh, well, I don't like the old art. I like the, I think the judge art's pretty cool. So that's I your like favorite? That. I think so, yeah. I mean, the, the Eternal Masters one is good, though. I don't know. Therese Nielsen's pretty talented. Well, I mean, I think one of the things worth pointing out here is that with Modern Masters 2013 and 15, um, we had the same foiling process as FTV, which everybody hated. So uh, with some of those cards, people held off on getting those foils because uh, they just didn't like the foiling process. Um, But it's been confirmed by Wizards that this time we're using regular foiling, which I think makes a big difference. Um, well, hold on. I gotta pause you. What was the first half of that? Did you say you said Modern Masters use the same foiling process as FTV? Yeah, that's not quite accurate. The FTVs are definitely different than the MMA sets, but the MMA sets still felt different than the standard sets. I think MMAs were supposed to be the same as standard cards, or very similar, and they just didn't get there. But they're not FTV. The FTV is uh, very distinct. I don't know it for a fact, but my understanding was that it was confirmed that they had used the same uh, printing shop for both FTV and MMA, and consequently it was more or less, I mean, it was the same process, whether or not it turned out exactly the same. I also did notice there was definitely a card stock difference that contributed, um, Mm -hmm. because my Japanese um, MMA 2015 felt very different than the 2013s. Really? I I mean, I won't speak to... uh, to, to I, I could only speak to what the f- end result was, and that is that the FTV cards feel dramatically different than the MMA ones, such that it does not seem that the process was intended to be the same. Because they, if that were the case, they missed the mark by such a wide margin that there's no way they would have gotten out of the shop without realizing that. Um, well, I mean, I think I think the I mean, if the listener knows for has a definitive source on this, feel free to chime in and let us know um, what the deal is. But I think. Suffice to say that uh, people were not fully satisfied with the foiling process in oh, MMA no. 2013 or 15. It was relatively, it was closer to FTV than to pack foils, and there was also the problem with the 2015 packs that they were packaged in those terrible cardboard boxes um, that damaged a lot of the foils coming out uh, of the print shop. And hopefully, we will avoid that this time with EMA. Yeah, and I I do remember, uh, or I, I I agree with you that they said 
that they confirm that they're using traditional, normal foiling process for EMA this time around. Um, so hopefully those will be much more in line with what everybody likes. Uh, they keep doing those FTV foils, and I don't know anyone who likes them. So, so give me your first pick of the week. Sure. Uh, so I started this week with uh, Days and Doing. Um, I got a conference level of 6 on this one. I'm looking at this on a real long time frame. Uh, it's from Magic Origins. Uh, if you don't remember Days Undoing, it's that card that everybody talked about before it was released. It's the, like, weird time twister. Um, it's the blue three mana sorcery that you time twister, but then you end the turn, or end your turn, end a turn, end someone's turn. Um, and they tried it out at a few different places. The price was crazy at the start. Um, and then it kind of faded away and did nothing. Uh, people talked about Infinity and Modern and Combo Decks and Standard and blah, blah, blah. And it just never quite got there. Uh, we're now seeing prices down in the $2 range, uh, which is quite low for a card that had been as high as like 20 or 30 bucks at one point. Uh, and what's interesting is it uh, it showed up in Standard this weekend in 25th place in Manchester in some sort of uh, sort of turbo fog, take multiple turns type of deck. Uh, so we know that it is at least playable. You know, somebody's managing to do well with it at a GP in, a, in kind of a funky deck. So with the price this low, uh, I am more than happy to start scooping up copies in the $2 range and just waiting for someone somewhere to figure it out. Um, because they will, that, that, that is when this card will skyrocket. Um, so, you know, I've got this, I'm targeting it like $8, but you know, it, it could land anywhere between six and 15, depending on, on what takes off. But I think, uh, $2 for what's essentially a bulk rare price for, um, possibly the strongest card in modern, like in a vacuum, um, is, is a very fair price and very likely to, to make you some money at some point down the road. Yeah, I think it's a great pick. I mean, Time Walk and Time Twister variants um, have, uh, and the Ancestral Recall variants, have a long history of eventually making you money. Um, you know, Part of the Veil was a, a Battle for Zendikar mythic that was down as low as $1.50 when we were picking up a bunch of copies, and I was unloading them on Puka uh, earlier in May for about $6, $6 worth of points. So it won't surprise me at all when Days Undoing one day, I wake up one day and it's on the the top movers list at over $10. Yep. Uh, what do you got next for us, James? So the other big foil from EMA that I would tell people to start keeping an eye on uh, would be the Mana Crypt foils. Uh, it uh, was also printed as a judge foil. Uh, those judge foils are in and around the $225 range, so I think picking up uh, either judge foils or EMA pack foils under 225 um, amazing if you can get them over under 200 between say June 10th and the 25th or something like that uh, will be a good place to be uh, a nice way to um, tie up some funds in some you know really high quality cards that you know might pop uh, before the end of the summer or it might take longer it could be a year or two before you really get a solid return but because that return is almost certainly to be in the you know fifty to hundred dollar range plus. Um, it's a it's a nice place to be and might be a better alternative than say stashing away some some booster boxes if you were considering that. Monocrypt is a card that I wanted in foil and then the Judge Provo was just so obscenely expensive. Hopefully now it's at least approachable. Um, and this is another one you know just like Forza will hopefully 
Uh, you can we can all snag a copy while people are trying to figure out what the price is supposed to be before it finally settles in the two hundred to two fifty range. I mean, the original media promo manuscript, which if you if you guys aren't aware of the backstory there, um, there was a series of early magic novels that were put out in the late nineties, and um, they had a, a a thing that you could clip out and send in to get a card. Um, and Mana Crypt was one of those cards, really the only one of the bunch that was any good. Um, you know, there are maybe 50 to 100 kind of panic sale copies out there right now of the original Mana Crypt. The Judge Foils, I'm seeing 20 or 30 copies. I would imagine we'll see 30 to 50 foil copies show up on opening weekend. Uh, and, you know, look for the bottoms. Um, find the guy who is, just popped one open in a draft and is happy to turn that into a couple boxes worth of cards and make him an offer you can't refuse so that you can get a couple of these in your portfolio. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Uh, my next pick this week is Duretti Scrap Savant uh, from Commander 2014. This is another long-term card, and I'm a little stronger on this. I got this at a 7. Um, you can pick up copies right now, uh, just like Dave's been doing, for about 2 bucks. Uh, this is a... An interesting commander that plays into a, a high synergy theme, um, so he's kind of easy to to build and figure out. But he's playable in any deck that has any number of graveyard or any number of artifacts in it. You know, if it's red and it's got artifacts, Duretti is worth a slot. Uh, and what I really like here is I think he might be legacy playable. Um, you know, we haven't really seen him get into that format quite yet, but he's a form on a planeswalker that goes up to a reasonable toughness. He filters cards really fast. He reanimates in the same way that Goblin Reanimator, um, or Goblin Welder does. Um, it, he, so I, I think that given that he's quite playable in EDH and he has uh, possible playable status in Legacy, uh, $2 is very cheap for this guy who we probably won't see anytime soon. I mean, remember, he's a Planeswalker, so uh, they're not putting this guy in standard, um, which leaves his available printings to, like, judge promos, and I wouldn't even know where else you would see him. He'd have to be, like, a supplementary slot in a future Commander product release, maybe. It's going to be hard to put him anywhere. Um, so, you know, at 2 bucks, that's so cheap for a card with mediocre supply. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see this at... The, in the double digits within uh, within a couple of years. Yeah, I think that's the right timeline. I mean, there's a few hundred copies floating around. Um, no one really has easy access to multiple copies um, from just you know being lying around. Because if you bought you know the commander products, you got exactly one copy. So you have to go out of your way to acquire more. Um, and you know it doesn't have a, a super obvious home right now that's likely to to. Uh, drive big demand anytime soon. So I think this is this is the kind of card I love to wait for one of those summer sales where you know they knock forty percent off his price or something, and I can pick up you know, hundred of them for a dollar fifty each or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, that's that's a good place, a good point, a good place to find those types of cards is on those sales. So uh, next on my list is uh, just an assortment of cards. I, I don't have specifics on any of these because I don't know where the price floor is going to be, and I, maybe I'll speak to them in more detail next week. But some cards that um, I expect to be in very high demand in foil despite their uh, previous appearances as judge foils would include Wasteland, Natural Order, Shardless Agent, and Sensei's Divining Top, um, all of which are likely to find uh, pretty intriguing floor prices 
um, uh, through you know the mid to late part of June um, that you should keep an eye on. And if you see especially good deals, you know auctions on eBay that aren't closing where you think they should be, and so forth, it might be a good time to jump in. And we will speak to that in more detail uh, maybe next week or the week after once we've seen uh, the prices start to establish. Mm-hmm. I yeah, uh, I said something similar in my article this week. Um, you know, keep an eye on that stuff, and uh, you know when those set when the set is released and people in your store are cracking boxes, uh, try and grab your hands on some of those foils. Um, you know, keep your eye out for any good deals because people may be willing to part those for a lot less than you may have expected them to, or that the market may settle on. Yep, makes sense. So tell me about uh, Titania Protector of Argoth. Yeah, well, you know, you and I are both on theme this week. You are all about EMA, and I am all about Commander. Uh, Titania Protector of Argoth, also from Commander 14, just like Doretti. Another long-term pick. Um, I've got this on an A. I really like Titania. Titania is... Uh, a return. Uh, the first time we've seen this story, this character from the storyline, who used to be a huge part of it, um, she's off, awesome in EDH. You know, green is the best color in EDH, and she does something that players like. She returns lands, um, so she gets back your fetch lands or your, your t- utility lands, and she makes um, five threes, which you can either use for fodder to sacrifice effects or to occasionally swing with. She's awesome in Gitrog, a commander that I think we are going to end up see in like the top ten most built EDH decks of all time. Uh, and her buy lists are starting to rise, which means players are interested. Copies are starting to sell. Um, she's got she's more like a two fifty to three dollar card right now, unlike Doretti. Um, but I think that uh, you know we've actually, in, unlike you know, we've also seen her. I think about it now. She's also shown up in uh, Legacy a few times in Nick Fit and some of those other strategies. They'll play one or two of where you uh, you sacrifice a ton of lands and suddenly you flood the board with five threes, where that's much more potent in Legacy than it is in uh commander for the most part so i think this is another card that's all around very useful in commander has some legacy application uh supply is going to start dwindling over the next year or so and buy lists are rising which implies that people want to buy this card want to play with it uh and you know you really don't need a you know rising buy list is the uh is a very good uh primary justification for considering a card yeah that all makes sense to me i think the you know power with Gitrog has me the most intrigued with this one. Um, mm-hmm. So let's see how that shapes up as as people will start to bring better and better brews to the table for Commander. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to finish up this week uh, on your topic on EMA. Um, I just want to talk about real quick about Eternal Masters boxes. Uh, you know, there's a lot of sealed some sealed product out there. There's prices all over the place. Um, I just want to let you know that if you can. Put to pick up a box at MSRP. I think it's worth it. Uh, I personally bought two at MSRP. Um, I pay. I paid the two hundred and forty bucks. So, uh, you know, Modern Masters ended up panning out very well for anyone who got in at MSRP or uh, even over MSRP. And I think Eternal Masters is likely to end up in a similar position. Um, I don't think they're going to do Eternal Masters as frequently as they do Modern Masters. And the number of cards to reprint in Eternal Masters is quite large um so a lot of these cards probably wouldn't get printed again uh i don't see wizards writing love letters to legacy very many times again in the future and sealed boxes of this should do quite well over time they're expensive you know 240 bucks is not a small buy-in 
and they're going to be hard to find and you might have to wait a while. But uh, as far as investments go, I think these are very safe and the MSRP, there's there's no way you lose any money. The worst case scenario is you break even, which isn't ideal, uh, especially on an investment that large, but uh, it's hard to find zero risk investments in magic. Yeah, I agree with all of that. There's a couple of other caveats I would throw in for people that are trying to hunt these down on how they can be successful. Um, one is to keep an eye out uh, opening weekend, June 10th, 11th, 12th is the time I think you want to be on eBay looking for these to hit rock bottom again. Um, there is always a store in some little town where the demand just doesn't pan out. Um, there are also shops in Mexico and Puerto Rico um, and other uh, areas where the high-end stuff has more trouble moving than the low-end stuff, where um, some of those guys are likely to break ranks and sell overseas um, through proxy accounts, even though they're not supposed to. Um, I've seen it happen before. I can guarantee you it will happen again. Uh, there's the other thing to look out for, uh, you know, is uh, make sure your LGS knows you're interested so that if somebody backs out of a, a, a pre-order or something um, or is looking to unload, um, you know, your name is at least on a list. Um, and then your best bet is to touch base with somebody who has access to the distributor's um, inventory but isn't particularly interested in magic because they're not actually an LGS. So I'm talking about collectible stores, comic book shops, um, you know, especially bookshops and stuff may have access to this product through their distributor, but have no reason to be ordering it, um, but could get access if they were to place, if you prepaid and placed an order. Um, I've done this successfully in the past, both in the US and in Canada. Um, I managed to lock down, uh, I think three cases to 225. Um, because the distributor pricing is somewhere between, I think, 140 and 180 depending on how much they're ordering. So even at 225 you can make somebody some money um, if you, you know, point them in the right direction. Uh, the other thing to, to keep an eye out for is people that have uh, picked up a bunch of cases and maybe are panic selling because they're not selling as fast as they want to. So make sure that your offer uh, is posted in message boards and on Facebook for a specific price. If you keep that offer open-ended for a certain number of boxes, you may be surprised by who messages you. Yeah, and magic players are real. Uh, well, magic players can be kind of dumb. Uh, you could find some people who buy boxes that they really shouldn't have that then need to offload it because they're, suddenly they're like, oh, I spent $300 or whatever on magic cards and I need my money back. Um, so but I think those are all great tips always to, uh, to score product. And uh, I wish I could buy three cases at $180 a box. That would be... That'd be pretty great. Well, my, mine were at two twenty five. The I'm saying that the the price that the store pays to the distributor is in the like I think one sixty to one eighty range, if I'm not mistaken. Still pretty good. <laughs> so the let, let let's play a little game. What do you think the price of a modern ma uh, sorry an Eternal Masters box will be come first week of December? This December. Yeah. Uh, I mean it's really tough because I'm not at this point. Box prices range from sub MSRP to three hundred dollars, but first week of December, I'm gonna go with like two eighty, maybe two ninety in that ballpark. Sure. So I think I'm a little more uh, optimistic than you are. Then uh, I th I would imagine that they will bottom out below two forty again. Uh, we're gonna see sales as low as two twenty five again then very quickly dry up into the 
280 range that they 280 to 290 range they seem to be sitting in now and if the distributor uh wave that comes down the road is relatively limited then i think they hold that position for a while and they end up say north of 320 by christmas if a lot of inventory is released from the distributors after the fact um then you know we could end up sub 300 for sure um so a lot of this depends on you know how much product is act was actually manufactured um i am emboldened though and agree with your comparison to modern masters 2013 as opposed to 15 on the basis that just not having you know a triple gp worldwide means 20,000 less players playing limited with the set you know this is going to be a lot less product um so we'll, we'll see how it plays out and uh but i i agree with you that they are uh odds are better uh then even that you will make money at MSRP or below. Yeah, well, and I, and I base my 280, 290 comment on, I remember with Modern Masters boxes, they were uh, reasonably stable for quite some time. You know, they were over, they were in, I don't know what, the 250 to 280 range or just under 300 range for quite a while. Um, and then they just kind of sat there and it was only recently that they actually started to move again. So I'm kind of... A, kind of working on the assumption that EMA will like hit that plateau and sit there for a year, a year and a half before it jumps off again. Well, if the demand was the same and the print run was the same as 2013, I'm then I believe I was selling my boxes at 400 us, uh, a year after. So I think it was early, early summer, 2014 that I was modern, 2013. modern masters, 2013. Yeah. There's no way. There's no way you were selling boxes at 400 US. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'll go back and double check, but that that would be my target <laughs> exit point if that's where it ends up. Well, sure, sure. I mean, I was I just sold two Modern Masters boxes at like 375, and they had been sitting on TCG Player for a while, and TCG was like in the 330 range for a long time. So if you got 400, I'm not saying you you didn't get 400 a box, but you I think you sold way. You did very well on that. You sold over market if that was just the case. Yeah, I just I just pulled up some eBay receipts from uh, between April and July uh, of 2014, and the lowest I sold for was 375, and the most I got was 41499, including shipping. Man, so, I, it was in that range. And how is that possible? I think my girlfriend's still actually holding on to a box, and her last offer she received on. That box was, I think, 360, which she turned down. Um, but maybe I should sell mine on eBay then. <laughs> we shall see with Eternal Masters. We we don't have all the information yet. Yeah, let's move on to segment three. Our week in review. Uh, this week we're talking about both Grand Prix Minneapolis and Manchester, two standard Grand Prix. Um, the talk of Minneapolis was humans. It looks like. Uh, five out of the top eight decks were humans decks, and two others were the green-white tokens list. Manchester was a little more diversified. Uh, what what jumped out at you this, this weekend? Yeah, I mean, definitely the decks from Manchester were more interesting from the, than the decks from GP Minnesota. Um, although Minnesota certainly cements the you know common opinion that green-white tokens uh, and various configurations of humans are the best decks in the format at present. Um, they're highly aggressive. They put threats on the table in a hurry. Um, they put pressure on and force you to have the answers if you're playing the control deck. 
Um, some of the Grixis builds seem relatively well-tuned to beat them, but we didn't see any show up in the top eight. So, um, you know, a lot. Of, it's not uncommon for pros to say they would rather be presenting threats than finding answers, and I think this is uh, a good uh, highlighting of why that is the case. Now, over at GP Manchester, we had Raphael Levy, you know, long-time super pro um, in the Magic scene for at least 20 years, um, playing green-white tokens, which was pretty similar to the green-white tokens that we found over in North America. But in Manchester, he ran two Chandra Flame Collar with no red lands. So relying only on four copies of Oath of Nyssa. Um, and he took a lot of flack for it from his fellow pros on Twitter this week, I noticed. Um, but he said it was great. Um, and this you know, was his sixth GP win um, of his career. So um, I tend to put faith in the guy who actually piloted the deck all weekend. Um, that, you know, if, if he if he didn't come out the other side of that thinking that he might have needed some red lands, then I trust that that was a, a, a strong tactical call. Yeah, Sam Black was talking to somebody on Twitter today about the math behind it, not whether it was a good idea, just the math, and it was reasonably supportive. I think he said it was akin to running a six drop in your draft deck, splashing for a six drop with, like, Five sources, I think. He said which, three uh, Yeah, he said no, it doesn't seem. Oh, he said three sources. Doesn't seem terribly unreasonable, right? Like it, you know, it's not like you're trying to cast it that often. Um, yeah, that that was interesting, and we saw we saw four oaths of Nissa each in both of the green white tokens lists as well over in Minneapolis. Uh, oath of Nissa, you'll remember, was like eight dollars when that card. Uh, was first spoiled, and copies are now down in the dollar to two and change range. So we may see Oath of Nyssa do quite well uh, after Eldritch Moon comes out, depending on what the format looks like. Um, and even long-term after that as well, Oath of Nyssa is a powerful one-mana green spell that I think a lot of decks have kind of wanted to see for a while. Well, and it's popped up in a bunch of modern decks as well, so that's two weeks ago yeah. I targeted the foils in our Cards to Watch segment at $6, oh, yeah, yeah. Targeting, targeting 12 and I still stand behind that. I think it's going to be a great pickup. Well, yeah, I, I recall that as well. That is a good point. So, um, so uh, check out this blue-red Ulamog deck that Matthew Hunt was running in Manchester. I believe he finished in sixth place, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he put two copies of Jace Unraveler of Secrets in the top eight of a GP. Um, he was also running two copies of Chandra, three Ulamog, and three Drowner of Hope um, in, a, in a very unique uh, brew um, that I hadn't seen previously. Um, the deck was also running for Spatial Contortion, Epiphany at the Drown Yard, uh, and then a whole bunch of like uh, Anticipates and Clash of Wills, Voice, Void Shatters, Confirmed Suspicions, Kozilek's Return, and even a Brutal Expulsion alongside Four Hedron Archive. So, you know, blue-red kind of classic blue-red control, and uh, very surprised to see Jace show up there. I didn't even realize there were that many counterspells in Standard. He's playing so many, so many counterspells. Yep. I really, I'm wondering how that deck would have fared over in Minneapolis, where it was all humans everywhere. Yeah, it's hard to say, and I don't know, it, it, when you see a deck like this um, do very well, it's hard to know how much of it is uh, a great uh, you know, the surprise factor you get from bringing an unknown to the table when somebody has been testing against the top decks in the format a lot and has kind of those play patterns uh, memorized, um, how much of it is the, the quality of the pilot, um, you know, how, how much they can uh, leverage the surprise factor, and whether, you know, anybody else is going to be able to, you know, if you put the, hand, the same deck in the hands of 30 players, if you would have seen it show up in any kind of significant percentage on day two. 
um, you know, these are the kind of decks that you have to watch for to see if they show up again uh, the week after uh, before you uh, make any snap judgments on what you should be buying into. I don't really, I mean, for instance, Jace of Unraveler of Secrets is probably the only card in there that uh, is really worth a look. Um, I don't feel tremendously confident in that as a pick. Um, but I do like uh, the Days Undoing uh, a little bit more from your uh, Cards to Watch list uh, based on Martin Mueller's deck, which was not top eight in Manchester, but did finish 25th. Um, this was a very interesting Jace's Sanctum mono blue prison deck. So it was running four Nagging Thoughts, three Days Undoing, four Part the Water Veil, four Pour Over the Pages, one Rise from the Tides, that's the uh, blue sorcery from Shadows Over Innistrad that puts a bunch of 2-2 two -two black zombies into play for every instant and sorcery in your graveyard. And the uh, linchpin of the deck was Jace's Sanctum, uh, a largely ignored enchantment from Origins. Uh, three and a blue. Instant and sorcery spells you cast cost one less to cast them. Whenever you cast an instant or a sorcery spell, scry one. So what you do here is you bounce a bunch of your opponent's creatures with Engulf the Shore or shut them down in the attack step with Hydra Lash. Um, and then you use Anticipates and Days Undoing and so forth to get uh, uh, control of the game uh, and start using Part the Water Veil to generate uh, a giant attacker that can get past your opponent before they have a chance to restabilize. I I didn't even realize Jace's Sanctum was a card. I didn't look that up. We should, we should, and we should probably pause the cast and just let everyone look up all the cards you listed because nobody knows what any of those are. Yeah. I, I would guess that our, that most of you need to look up Nagging Thoughts, uh, Pour Over yeah. the Pages, maybe Rise from the Tides, probably Hydra Lash. We're not giving these guys any credit, right? Like, if they drafted, they would know what these are. Yeah, I mean, if they're drafting a lot, they've probably made use of these, uh, or at least some of them. Um, but, yeah, I mean... A brilliant deck out of total left field from Mueller, and another thing to keep your eye on locally to see if it starts popping up. Um, the, the only card in, cards in here I really like um, to be grabbing that might see a boost from standard play or might be unlocked in modern or legacy down the road would be your days undoing. And also part the water bill, despite having doubled up already and, and made us some money, um, still probably has legs long term. I think part the water bill is probably a $10 plus card down the road. Yeah. Yeah, and and Jay, you know, as for Jace, um, we're seeing copies in the like six to seven dollar range. So I agree, I'm not I'm not ready to buy in today or anything, but I do think that there's uh, possible fertile ground there. So if we see that blue red Ulamog deck show up uh, next week, um, you know, kind of pull a Pyromancer's goggles type thing, then perhaps perhaps uh, then it will be time to turn our attention to that because he can get from seven to fifteen in a real hurry. Um, but let's uh, let's go ahead and wrap up our show this week. Uh, James, where can our loyal listeners get a hold of you? You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles on MTGPrice.com. Great. And again, my name is Travis Allen. You can find me on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N, and I write every Wednesday on MTG Price and appear occasionally on Cartel Aristocrats, the web podcast. Uh, I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service. For just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year, you can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. 
Okay, and that brings us to the end of another episode. James, it was so great to see you, and uh, I will see you again next week. Thanks so much, Travis, and we'll see everybody next week for another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.